Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Live from our nation's capital. This budget thing is going to do nothing. Space Force, I still think it's interesting. President Trump not playing his cards yet. Headlines, policy, and politics colliding. Bloomberg, sound on. The insiders, the influencers, the insights. I would rather see a congressional solution. It's part of my DNA. The Senate map in 2020 looks a lot different than it looked in 2018. You really have a divide within Team Trump. The president has to do exactly what people sent him here to do, which is to get it done. This is Bloomberg, sound on. With Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi speaking exclusively to Bloomberg's David Weston. She says she's not a big fan of Medicare for All. This is Elizabeth Warren touts her new Medicare for All plan. We dive into the specifics and Jobs Day smashing expectations really surpassing expectations. I'll give you the number coming up in just a few. And beyond that, new talks on the horizon for USMCA. USMCA, quote, the easiest trade deal that could get a vote in 2020. All of this plus an all-star panel. Jack Kingston's here, former Georgia congressman, Trump 2020 campaign surrogate. Eli Yokely, political reporter for The Morning Consult. And Pedro DaCosta, director of communications at the Economic Policy Institute. Thrilled to have all of you here. Jack, the parade's tomorrow. The parade is too late in the day. It wow, needs Jack, to be coming in out the morning. Strong. It needs to be in the morning so that we can take our kids to the T-ball diamond afterwards and start practicing them. If we get back at 4 o'clock, it'll be dark. They'll have a bad attitude. They'll have wow, a sugar Jack. high. Jack, they <laughs> won the World Series. Come on, <laughs> Well, buddy. okay, let me say this. You know what? It is a great moment for Washington, D.C. Yes. and the nation because if you looked at that crowd. A bad moment for Ted Cruz. It, well, yeah, well, yes. <laughs> uh, if you look at the crowd. And by the way, I was watching the game with Ted Cruz at, because at the same time. I love this already. Go we, ahead. We were at the basketball game when the Rockets beat the Washington Wizards in a game that went down to the last nine seconds. One of the highest scoring basketball games in history, 159 to 156. Wow. So while baseball was being, looking for runs, the basketball team could have given them a few. How about that win last night and, and, and that storm? And all I kept thinking was, look, you can win the World Series and you still have to land at Dulles, Eli. <laughs> I just can't believe Ted Cruz wasn't there to watch the last game of the, of the World Series. That's going to be news to some Texans. <laughs> you know, I, I think. Duty. He was there. He was there <laughs> to all the other games. Had to come back and vote, Eli. Wow. Wow. <laughs> had, to, had to make that vote. All right. So did you guys see this big interview? Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi was in New York. Uh, at Bloomberg World Headquarters earlier today. And she spoke exclusively with Bloomberg's David Weston. He did such a great job on this interview. And I, I want to start with impeachment, because obviously that's really the driving force for the next, I don't know, two to four months. Is that the time window now? Uh, take a listen to what uh, Speaker Pelosi told my colleague David Weston about uh, the impeachment and not having a choice to do it. Here she is. We have no choice. We took an oath to protect and defend our democracy. And that is what he has made an assault on. And if the Republicans have a higher loyalty to the president than they do to their oath of office, that's their problem. 
on the one hand, Jack, I, I, I kind of agree with her in the sense that she really didn't have a choice because she was under so much pressure from the progressive base of her party. Uh, you know, she had a choice <laughs> in terms of making it fair. Instead, with a Democrat versus Republican Rules Committee, nine Democrats versus four Republicans, they voted out a rules on impeachment package, which does not give equal witnesses, equal time allocation, equal uh, release of documents and transcripts. And so let's just let's just take her at a word that suddenly she's the most patriotic purist in America right now and that she loves the flag and she hated doing this impeachment, even though they started on it in November 2016. But let's just say all that is true. Why did they do a fair process, particularly if he's as guilty as they'd like us to believe? So, Eli, how is how is impeachment polling right now? Because the polls suggest that Americans are behind the impeachment inquiry, that it, it remains a politically divisive issue. But do the polls show if Americans are actively I don't want to say actively following this, but are yeah. as as obsessed with impeachment as Washington, D.C. seems to be? Well, they're certainly not. And a lot of really? these, a lot of these big, wow. a lot okay. of these big moments are breaking through. We do this are tracking, or aren't are not are not. not breaking yeah, through. Yeah, yeah. That's important. Go ahead. We do this tracking called Seen Red Herd, where we look at a lot of news events and see what people have heard about it, uh, different things. And and things like the Bill Taylor testimony that everybody in D.C. was obsessed over broke to, through to about a quarter of voters nationwide. That's not a lot. Look, uh, the polls are on Democrats' side in terms of whether they like uh, the impeachment inquiry itself. Um, the problem, and this is what Nancy Pelosi was facing, was half the voters didn't like how Democrats were handling it. This messaging Republicans half were making. Half the voters didn't yeah. like how Democrats so, were handling it. So, so the wow. same shares of voters who support the impeachment inquiry opposed how Democrats were handling it. And so she had to do something, I think, in the eyes of a lot of voters. So where does this go in terms of from here? I mean, we're hearing that there's going to be, Eli, more public hearings over the next couple of weeks. But we don't have a timetable still with regards to articles of impeachment. No, we don't. And Nancy Pelosi said today that they're going to be investigating this, and it might go into 2020, uh, which would be uh, some some maybe tough news of some of these Democratic presidential candidates having this and following them around as they, as they kick their campaigns into full gear. Pedro DaCosta, uh, I, I want to get your take on precisely where Eli just led us, which is that if you're Senator Kamala Harris, Cory Booker, Elizabeth Warren, who we'll talk about coming up about her uh, Medicare for All plan, and some of these other senators who are running uh, for president, Bernie Sanders, um, two of them are top tier candidates. Does impeachment create a hurdle for you when you want to be spending time on the campaign trail in Iowa and New Hampshire? I think it definitely creates, you know, yeah, I wouldn't call it a hurdle. It creates uh, diversions as far as the news focus and for creates people. It's an itinerary are, headache. <laughs> yeah, and, and for people who are. For candidates who are as policy-focused as, as Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren, and all the ones you cited, it creates a diversion. But at the same time, it it's not a diversion that is misaligned with their message that the current president is, uh, you know, mishandling the economy and the state. So I think it's, you know— it diverts the attention, but it's not necessarily bad for their momentum. See, this is why Pedro DaCosta is just so on point with this, because he mentioned policy, right? And, and, and Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren, presenting themselves to progressive voters as policy wonks. And David Weston asked Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi about one of the, the biggest policies that Wall Street, Main Street, uh, big banks, small banks, uh, agriculture, every sector – cares about right now, and that's USMCA and the passage of USMCA and whether or not 
it's going to get done. We've been reporting on this on this program as well as elsewhere that virtually everyone's saying they believe the impeachment inquiry has actually spurred both sides to get to a deal on USMCA so that they can say they were able to deliver a win, a policy win to their respective parties in the midst of this partisan uh, impeachment process. Take a listen to what Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi said earlier today exclusively to Bloomberg's David Weston about USMCA. Here she is. We are working now on a Mexico-U.S.-Canada trade agreement, and I'm I'm optimistic that we can be successful with that. Well, we don't have the assurances that we need on enforcement. I myself voted for NAFTA. Uh, I had some disappointments, but one of the big disappointments is if you don't have enforcement, you are just having a conversation, nice things that are listed, but you don't have enforcement, and I think that we can come to a place on this. I think the optics about this, Jack, are, are really important to note because I'm going to read for you also what she told our Bloomberg editorial board, which is, quote, we are on a path to yes, and I think every day brings us closer to agreement. I would like to have it done as soon as it's ready. I wouldn't rule it out next year. Hopefully we can do it sooner. But I said when it's ready, we will do it. So the optics of this Jack Kingston, former Republican congressman, a Trump 2020 surrogate, are one day. Literally one day after the first impeachment vote on the House floor, Speaker Pelosi goes to Bloomberg World Headquarters and makes this news about USMCA. She clearly wants to get to a yes. Uh, she wants to. She wants to be working on other things, but unfortunately she's held hostage by the extremists in her party, which seems to be the majority of her party right now. But um, when you when when I was there during the Clinton administration um, and we dealt with uh, – um, Anything, even uh, including impeachment, but other issues, Newt Gingrich, Henry Hyde, Bill Archer, Dick Armey always insisted, look, you got to pass your appropriation bills. The Democrats under Pelosi haven't had one appropriation bill get to the president yet. you got to do something about uh, something like drug pricing. Again, nothing's gone to the president yet. you got to work on these trade bills. These trade bills are difficult. They could have moved USMCA last spring. But they haven't done it. She's not taking any um, serious whipjacks on it. She's just trying to assure Wall Street that everything's okay, to impeach a president under some phony excuse, and we're going to get a trade agreement. Why don't she? Why doesn't she just move the trade agreement and show that she can walk and impeach at the same time? All right, coming up, we're going to talk more policy and politics with our panel. I'm also going to tell you that the about the company behind the song Baby Shark. Wait till you hear how much money they've made off of (laughs) Baby Shark. That's all I'm going to say. It's on the Bloomberg Terminal. It's my favorite story of the day. It's really what's been on my radar. Panel stays. Download the Bloomberg Sound On podcast on Apple iTunes at Bloomberg.com or by downloading the Bloomberg Business app. You can also find us on Radio.com, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. I'm Kevin Cirilli. I can't wait to tell you about this Baby Shark story. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. I'm Kevin Cirilli. You're listening to Bloomberg Radio Sound On. The more that I can play that song, the better. It it never gets old, folks. And hey, World Series champs. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg TV and Bloomberg Radio. I'm joined by Jack Kingston, former Georgia congressman, who was doing the shark shark along. 
And, and, you know, I got to do the baby shark or the mama shark because the daddy shark looks like I'm a Florida gator. <laughs> and in University of Georgia uh, territory, you don't pretend to be a Florida alligator because they do that same thing. But that is one of the craziest stories in the world. And you're right. The song does not grow old. It, no, it, it does doesn't. catch on, even if you're a crotchety guy. <laughs> you like it. <laughs> Jack Kingston, old. former Georgia congressman here. He's a Trump 2020 campaign surrogate. Eli Yokely, political reporter for Morning Consult. And Pedro DaCosta, who was not moving along. He's the with the, the baby shark. Uh, he works over at the Economic Policy Institute. This story about the I, I get enough of baby shark at my house, man. I have really? a four-and-a-half-year-old and a one-year-old. Wow. It's, and you're going to tell them you were not long. doing the, the, the motion. You're going to go home and say, yeah, I was on this big-time radio show, yep. but I did not do Jack, it. I I'm going to tell him. I am <laughs> going to tell him that. Let me it's a big a fellow guest. And, she's gonna, and my daughter's going to be so disappointed. Okay, well, get this. So so this song, which I guess I, I came out a couple of years ago, Kim Min Seok, he co-founded this company called Smart Study Company in 2010. Five years later, its children's educational brand, Pink Fong, Releases that song, Baby Shark, which now, of course, has become an anthem of sorts for the, for the World Series champs. So Kim min dad runs Samsung Publishing Company. That owns part of the startup. They're worth $125 million, uh, a million dollars, much of it thanks to the song. And this is, this is the stat which I, the, I, I can't even fathom. Shares of Samsung Publishing soared. Are you ready? 89% the week, th this week, the World Series began, as local media reported on the song's surging popularity amongst U.S. baseball fans. Uh, and wow. So it just goes to show you, I'm reading from my colleague Yu Jung Lee's reporting on the Bloomberg Terminal. Shares went up 89% for the companies behind Baby Shark, Pedro. Nuts. What do you think Elizabeth Warren thinks about that? Uh, I don't know what Elizabeth Warren thinks, but I know my one-year-old would be like jumping up and down, <laughs> you know, clapping at Baby Shark. All right, well, another another uh, number statistic for so Smash. So you know all the words. Oh, 100%. I know all the motions and the difference. <laughs> it's yeah. like everything else. It's the second verse that gets you. You have no idea what they're saying. Wow, Jack Hickson. Okay. Uh, another, I'm going to ask my nephew and niece uh, this weekend if, if they're fans of this song. Uh, another another number that caught our eye today, Jobs Day. Big, big Jobs Day. And 128,000 jobs were added to the U.S. economy in the month of October, smashing expectations. I was at the Department of Labor earlier today, Pedro da Costa, and I'll be candid. I went in. I did all the prep work. I was anticipating that it was going to show a, a weaker hiring and really the General Motors strike impacting uh, the 46,000 workers who went on strike for General Motors workers, we were all anticipating that that was going to slow down uh, the October jobs numbers, but candidly, didn't have any effect. That's right, and and I think the VLS specifically mentioned this, and uh, not only was the number about 50,000 stronger than market expectations, which were fairly low at 85,000, uh, there were upward revisions to the prior two months that added about 100,000 jobs total, so... You have a continued decent uh, growth in jobs, which is it's still a slowdown from last year, but it's decent given how long this recovery has been. This is the longest economic recovery in history. It's in its 11th year. Uh, and so, you know, it's good. I would say that looking at wage growth, which is a number that I pay most attention to and is the number that is where you should look for seeing where it, whether the economy is hot, that's still kind of treading water at about 3%, and it's really not 
sufficient to make up for the stagnation that we've had over the last. Let's dive deeper into the numbers. The jobless rate edged up to 3.6% from a half century low, still, still largely on par little to no change. African-American unemployment fell to a new record low of 5.4%. Average hourly earnings climbed 3% from a year earlier, matching projections. It's a solid jobs number. I'm struck, Pedro, that that we talk about trade and tariffs and the impact of trade policy consistently on every day on the U.S.-China trade deal and and the like. But we've seen some uncertainty, obviously market volatility as a result of, of such. But when it comes to the jobs numbers, I mean, you can't, you objectively can look at this report and say that the tariffs haven't had a disastrous impact on the monthly jobs numbers. I think you're right. The one place I would point out that where that has been the case is manufacturing, which I yeah. think saw the third month of contraction this month. And so specifically manufacturing, which obviously is the core of trade, uh, we are seeing a lot of weakness there, uh, but it has not spread to the rest of the economy, and the U.S. economy is fairly strong d- despite the trade war. And so I think you're right. I think that market uh, market concerns get expressed in ways that are overstated compared to the day-to-day economic impact. That said, there is a long-term grinding impact of this uncertainty and lack of uh, stability on U.S. economic potential, potential and decision-making and, and business investment. And Absolutely. that's global. That's global. Uh, so uh, Carl Riccadonna, our, our very own Carl Riccadonna, Bloomberg's chief chief economist. My old friend. He, Your old friend? What, you're not friends anymore? I mean, I haven't <laughs> talked to him in a while. You know, I have, <laughs> At first it's it was the while. baby shark. Song, and now it's <laughs> now Carl. Now it's Carl Riccadonna. <laughs> I love Carl. What did Are Carl Riccadonna ever do? <laughs> Carl Riccadonna says that the labor data – continue to corroborate a moderation in the pace of economic activity in the latter half of the year. But this is the key part. The resilience in the pace of hiring signals that growth is cooling, not collapsing, end quote. President Trump just tweeted that it was a quote-unquote blowout. Much more with the panel coming up next, policy and politics. Download the Bloomberg Sound On podcast on Apple iTunes at Bloomberg.com or by downloading the Bloomberg Business app. You can also find us on Radio.com, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. I'm Kevin Cirilli. Senator Elizabeth Warren releases her Medicare for All plan. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. Success is more than the final destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's discipline, it's teamwork, and it's the drive and passion inside of us that comes before all recognition. It's what Stiefel's been doing for over 130 years. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel's become one of the fastest growing wealth management and investment banking firms in the country. Our financial advisors go beyond traditional wealth management to provide clients with direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises and a leading middle market investment bank because success is the drive it takes to keep climbing, the passion to keep investing, the best of each of us made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Start your journey at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. Born to run, he is nuts. Beto O'Rourke is out, according to the New York Times. The former Texas congressman is now 
stepping down from the 2020 Democratic pres presidential contenders primary. Breaking news within the last uh, couple of minutes. The New York Times reporting that Beto O'Rourke is out of the race. I'm Kevin Cirilli, chief Washington correspondent for Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Radio. Remember, folks, he had that what was it, Vanity Fair cover where uh, Annie Leibovitz uh, at Born to Run was the headline. He had to walk it back on The View. It was a whole thing. Uh, Jack Kingston's here, former Georgia congressman, Trump 2020 campaign surrogate, Eli Yokely, political reporter for Morning Consult. Did Beto even register on the latest polls? You know, he's been he's been going down since he got in. I mean, he peaked <laughs> on his first day of his campaign. Ever since then, it's just dropped. I mean, I didn't our, our, laugh. our latest poll on this Sorry, had him at two percent. He was tied with Tulsi, Amy Klobuchar, and Cory Booker. So okay, yeah. Pedro DaCosta is here, director of communications at the Economic Policy Institute, as well. I didn't mean to laugh at that. It was just the way you said it was was so. It just but but it is true. Uh, you know, if you start out with a Vanity Fair endorsement, it's going to go downhill. <laughs> <laughs> wow. nobody Did, had, were you ever on the cover of Vanity Fair, Jack? Uh, I don't think Vanity Fair ever. Uh, <laughs> not yet. What about GQ? No. no, not GQ. Uh, if he gets um, that coat, he might be. Yeah, if oh. I borrow your coat. Wow, <laughs> my coat is really is really the talk of the commercial break. And we want to invite everybody to watch you on TV so they can oh. see your good coat, but they need to see your lumberjack coat right this now. This is the real me. You know? It's the campaign car heart jacket. This, <laughs> Wait, it's, it's the sub sandwich, <laughs> the hoagie coat. Yeah, I don't wear I don't wear I don't eat subs, I eat hoagies. Um okay, let's get back to business. Uh, Medicare for all. Elizabeth Warren has released her Medicare for all plan. Uh, this is better O'Rourke steps down from the race. Pedro, I want you to, to walk us through precisely what's in the plan and how, how she's going to be attacked from both the left, from Bernie Sanders, and also from Biden. I don't know every detail of the plan. She's just released it. But I, th I mean, the, the gist of it is that she can find the tax revenues to raise funds to, to fund Medicare for all. I think the, the, the figure that was uh, floated for new funds is about $20 trillion dollars. Uh, and I think she's emphasizing the notion that uh, healthcare costs are atrocious as they are, and that they're going to go down for for millions of Americans if if her plan is implemented. According I think the criticisms that she's going to get from the sort of center and the right is that it's too costly and it's cumbersome. Uh, there's also the uh, the very real concern about transitions. Uh, I think there are very there are people who are apolitical. I think of a, a, a friend, an acquaintance of mine, Peter Morley, patient advocate, who, you know, while he is all for universal health care, he worries as a patient what a transition might look like and whether people might lose care. And I think uh, I'm not sure what the critique will be from the Bernie Sanders side, to be honest. They, they've been saying quietly for weeks behind the scenes that he is the OG for Medicare for all, that he was there first, that he is the one who really was the driving force to really making this become a national uh, discussion. This is, as the Bloomberg Terminal uh, uh, reports on it, a defining moment that fleshes out her vision to remake one-fifth of the United States economy. Uh, I I'm struck by this. The, the, her plan on uh, estimates that Medicare for all, that the price tag for it would be $20.5 trillion dollars over 10 years. But the Urban Institute, which is pretty progressive, uh, estimates that it would be $34 trillion. So she's sliced some of the some of the costs, just a couple trillion. Um, 
Jack Kingston, I, I, obviously you disagree with Medicare for All. And candidly, Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi told our very own Bloomberg's David Weston today that she's not really a fan of Medicare for All. But I, I don't want to have a, a part as, a, a, I don't want to have the back and forth fight. I, I want to talk procedure here. In order for Medicare for All to ever go into effect, Democrats would need a super majority. They would have to win clear majorities in the House, a super majority in the Senate, and they would have to take back the White House. So this is a really difficult it, – it, it, it feels difficult to see how this comes about in, in, as little more than, than a campaign policy. I don't see how it's possible to get it through the U.S. Congress, Senate, and House. But uh, remember, Obama – when he was president, did have that brief moment when he had just the right numbers and could pass Obamacare, which would not have happened if he did not have a super majority in the Senate. But I, I think as American people say, wait a minute, this means I give up my personal health care and I turn my health care over to an agency that's going to run it like the VA or the EPA or the IRS. I mean, tell me one government agency that's efficient and effective more than a local doctor. And, um, you know, insurance companies, as much as you curse them, I still don't want to turn it over to government bureaucracies that are insensitive to consumer complaints. Uh, there's been criticism from some of her moderate rivals, Eli Yokely, including Biden and Mayor Pete Buttigieg. Pete Buttigieg. I, I, what, what do the polls suggest, first and foremost, about where Democrats are on the issue of Medicare for all, but then also where independent swing voters are on, on this as well? People are generally for it until you tell them the taxes go up. And then they don't <laughs> really like it. Ain't that the truth? I mean, we, we did a point a couple of weeks ago asking if they believe this idea that your health care costs will go down or your, your taxes will go up the same as your health care costs go down, that it would even out at the end. And most people just don't buy it. And that's the tough position Democrats are in as I sell this policy across the country right now. And that's what Elizabeth Warren leaned into today. I mean, she said very clearly that uh, middle class taxes won't go up. Um, she didn't. I yeah. don't think she said that very clearly. That was in her plan. Uh, the, the the challenge for her is she's one of the least trusted candidates. In her on plan, costs. she writes. So this is uh, this is new to me. In her plan, she's specific because she's dodged this question. She's dodged this question repeatedly during the debates. So now she's she's. That saying, was the whole point of her, her coming out today. I mean, the debate pressure was kind of uh, building for her. And one of the things we saw was she's one of the least trusted candidates among the. Uh, top contenders on the issue of health care costs. Voters are less likely to believe her about um, these plans than some of the other candidates. Sanders has said the uh, the plan would require higher middle, middle class taxes as well. I mean, th all of this just really, I think, is going to, to shape up to uh, a fascinating debate in Atlanta. You're neck of the woods, Jack. The next Democratic presidential debate when they're all on the same stage. And we are looking forward to having them. I, I just want you to know it's good for them to do the geographic spread, so I welcome welcome them to the state of Georgia. But I think the other problem that Warren's going to have that is a simple communication message is not even Nancy Pelosi is supportive of this. And how do you explain that? And if we look at how Klobuchar attacked Elizabeth Warren incessantly in the last debate, I think she's going to get that kind of inbound criticism and question from everybody except for from Bernie. I don't know how she handles it in the debate, but I would think of it as, uh, you know, uh, Trump likes to sell himself as a master negotiator, but you know who's, who are great negotiators? Senators, because they know how to negotiate legislation. And I, I think Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders know that any campaign proposal is the most 
is big picture opening yeah. salvo in a proposal, and, and they're gonna get they're gonna end up somewhere else, and so that's how I'm looking. There's at this. reaction from the Biden campaign. Kate Bedingfield, uh, Biden campaign spokeswoman, said in a statement, "Quote: For months, Elizabeth Warren has refused to say if her health care plan would raise taxes on the middle class, and now we know why because it does. Senator Warren would place a tax, a new tax of nearly nine trillion dollars." That will fall on American workers. So there are the battlegrounds. Coming up next, what's on the panel's radar? I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Radio, and you're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. Hell yes, we're going to take your AR-15, your AK-47. We're not going to allow it to be used against our fellow Americans anymore. That was Better O'Rourke from the Houston debate at Texas Southern University the other month. Uh, He's out of the race. New York Times reporting Better O'Rourke has stepped out of the 2020 presidential Democratic primary race. And there's also reports that Kamala Harris is slashing offices in New Hampshire. She's, I guess, trying to go all in in Iowa. Another uh, story that we've been carefully monitoring here at Bloomberg is Saudi Crown Prince uh, MBS has given the green light for the Saudi Aramco IPO. I'll just read the lead on this story uh, from my colleagues at the Bloomberg terminal. Saudi Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman finally gave the go-ahead for the initial public offering of state oil producer Aramco, deciding there's enough support from local investors for what could be a record share share sale. And uh, Bloomberg Cites people familiar with the uh, with the situation. Uh, it's now time for what's on the panel's radar, and we've got an all-star panel. We've got Pedro DaCosta, who works over at the Economic Policy Institute, Eli Yokely, political reporter for the Morning Consult, and Jack Kingston, a former Republican Georgia congressman and Trump 2020 campaign surrogate, who asked me in the break if I went to Harvard. No, I didn't go to Harvard. I went to Penn State University. I'm kind of offended that you thought I went to Harvard. <laughs> You kind of look like an elitist to me. I, can what? I get an amen, Eli? Yeah, I, think I, I think it's yeah. the Carhartt jacket. <laughs> I am the lumberjack. Just trying too hard to be. I normal. am so deeply offended that you just that I just got called for being an elitist. Well, I said. Can you I, say that you're kidding? Because because okay. body language doesn't show on air. Jack. I, I, I am kidding, except for that coat yesterday that you wore at the White House. It looks very debonair, and so I just <laughs> thank to you. Pass I hope my on. boss is listening. Uh, okay, Jack, you're going to go first. What is on your radar? Okay, number one, there is a growing scandal. Just, I have to interrupt. Uh, Christine Murata, our executive producer, just put in our group chat that she's now going to refer to me as Debonair Kev. <laughs> Thanks, Jack. Well, okay, go ahead. Okay, there is a growing scandal in business schools that's going unaddressed by um, businesses throughout America. And the question is, why is it that on every single conference call in which we have to attend, the one person who doesn't understand how to push the mute button seems to be at a <laughs> hockey game, a basketball game, a rock concert, or in an airport. Or Rudy Giuliani, or Rudy Giuliani talking to a reporter. Yes. Whether it's the business school going to teach the graduates to use the mute button. All right. That's Jack, my amen. Issue. That's, That's my your issue. issue, and I agree. Listen, but sometimes for us reporters, that actually works out well. Eli Yokely, what's on your radar? Uh, I like free, that. Three big governor's races uh, coming up. Yes. Louisiana. Uh, Kentucky and Mississippi. Kentucky's a big deal. Democrats are really uh, pushing to win that one. It's going to be close. Matt Bevin is the least popular governor in the country. 
Um, and we're also watching this Louisiana race Donald Trump's heading there. Interesting, interesting. And what is on your radar, Pedro da Costa? So what's on my radar is— So far—sorry, Eli, but so far, Jack's beating you for my well, vote. That's not coming ahead. That's oh. like more of an existential problem. He's, he's with me, though. Use the mute button on a conference call. I agree, yeah. Just don't have conference calls, period. <laughs> don't have meetings, don't have conference calls. That's how I feel. Sorry, I'm not a big meeting kind of guy. Anyway, enough about that. because you went to Harvard. I didn't go to Harvard. I went to (laughs) Penn State. I'm telling you. I'm going to get in trouble because I'm off topic and off focus. Go ahead, Pedro. So I'm watching uh, German politics, actually, uh, just to make it really exciting. And the reason I'm watching German politics is that there's a debate in Germany. Germany is basically close to recession. And and back to our economic debate earlier, we didn't talk about the ISM manufacturing index, which contracted for the third uh, straight month. And so the worry is that we're going to see the trade war turn into something like a global recession. And the place that we might see it and may be already seeing it is Germany. Now, there's a political debate within Germany as to whether or not they should do a fiscal stimulus. And that's what I'm paying attention and to. And beyond that, the president's decisions with regards to uh, the auto the auto industry this week, how has that impacted what's what's going on in Germany? I think just generally uh, the fact that autos have been at the center of uh, of the trade debacle and the fact that the auto sector is so crucial to Germany has just made Germany vulnerable. And of course, as the powerhouse within Europe, uh, you know, if a German, a German recession could actually drag the entire Eurozone into, into a downturn. And some, and some folks, uh, by the way, have, have suggested that the, (coughs) excuse me, the USMCA, uh, which would really go into how many parts and what portion of the parts in the auto sector are made in the United States. Obviously, I'm giving a very, very top-line view here uh, that that would actually benefit the U.S., Mexico, and Canada against German competition. That's correct. The rules of, I mean, if, if they're a deal, a deal would definitely benefit uh, those three countries at the expense of Germany. So, uh, so you want to know what's on my radar? Elon Musk. Elon Musk has said that he is going offline that he's going to be taking a social media break. Remember, he got in a, Thank a, you, a, God. <laughs> he got in a, a little bit of trouble uh, with the feds for some of his tweets recently. He went after my former colleague, Lynette Lopez, at Business Insider, like on a personal tirade. Like he's, yeah. All right, well, well he, uh, it, okay, well, no, I'm not stepping in the middle of anything. <laughs> Twitter has fallen out of Elon Musk's favor as the Tesla CEO vowed to, quote, go offline on Friday. It's unclear, however, when he would do so as the executive has teased the move before. I've been taking a social media break. And, hey, listen, I think if you need to get offline for a little bit, it, it's good. Eli, you're, you're going. You're, you're, you just, like, like the tweet of mine. Yeah, but I'm not, I'm not posting. I mean, you know, you're it's there, healthy. but you're not there. You know what I mean? I think the funny thing is how <clears throat> how self important we all like we think we've no we disappeared. Nobody yeah. and nobody no cares. cares. Nobody cares. But you know what? People care gone. about Elon Musk. People yeah, care that's about Elon Musk. I, uh, I, I, I wish he would start another Twitter. <laughs> oh, I, like I, a I, Mitt I really Romney. Do. I think we need competition. Kind Facebook of thing. needs competition. Twitter needs competition. I think that's what his energy oh, should be. Last word to Jack Kingston. We're going to have to leave it there. Congrats to the Nats again. Have fun, everybody. Be safe at the parade. Jack, Eli, I will. I always enjoy Philly. That's it for me. Pedro, thank you as well. Thank you. I'm Kevin Cirilli. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. 
Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.